0: Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 87 with a quick title change because Tom got something wrong. Well, something right because it is about Mycroft. It is about Home Assistant. But Mycroft, is it going away, Jay? Is that the way we would describe this?
1: Yeah, it's a developing story, but it's something that I wanted to talk about after the ad read because um, we talked about Mycroft before. We had a whole episode dedicated to it. And we had the whole episode title, if I remember correctly, of Hello, Mycroft. And we thought about... Yep. Cuddling this goodbye, Mycroft, but that wouldn't be enough of a topic to carry the show. We have a lot more to talk about, but we'll cover it.
0: Yeah, we'll be covering that. Um, But that's episode uh, 24 is the one that this happened in. And now it's going away here. <laughs> we've we've now outlasted Mycroft as a as a yeah. podcast. And what helps us outlast that is paying the bills, which is going to be a big thank you to Linode. They've been a sponsor for a long time. Uh, they were sponsored before the Mycroft and after Mycroft. <laughs> um, so we yep. thank them for being a sponsor. Great place to run a lot of the projects we talk about in here if you need a public infrastructure to put some of these things on we've talked about a lot of projects that'd be great in there and the project today interesting and i bet jay doesn't have this integration but we'll find out later uh you can integrate linode is one of the connected apps that you can add to your home assistant it will actually check the status Mm -hmm. of your load i learned that today when i was uh doing some of the extra notes and research so we'll uh we'll be talking about a little bit more Uh, on that topic later. But thank you, Linode, for sponsoring. We have an offer code down in the links below. Um, Go to linode.com slash homelabshow if you'd like to get started with them. We thank them for being a sponsor. And uh, yeah, let's just jump into this. And the first thing we are going to talk about is the going away part of what, well, first, what is Mycroft? And we can, I'll let Jay sum that up.
1: (laughs) So Mycroft is, and this is why this is so sad to me, because um, it's one of my favorite open source projects ever and you know of course there's some, there's others on that list too because I'm a fanboy when it comes to open source software I just love it when people create something amazing but mycroft was it, the potential that it had was to maybe maybe possibly challenge the big players when it comes to smart speakers you know Alexa and all those others that they have out there but this one's open source so you can hack it. You, don't even, you didn't even have to buy one. You could just download the software. You could run it on your computer. You could have a voice assistant anywhere on your you know Raspberry Pi, x86 PC, anything that runs Linux, basically. The voice engine was open source, so you could download just that part if you want. So um, it was a very professional experience because it was one of those that I think anybody could set up. It acts just like the uh, proprietary ones where uh, Mycroft would spin up a web server or something to show you that, or actually an access point, you connect to it and then it asks you to give it your actual Wi-Fi SSID and password. Then it joins the network and it, it does that all just like a, a uh, you know device that you bought from Best Buy would do. And it offers the same features. You could ask a questions, it could search for you. You could integrate it with your home assistant or whatever you want. And since it's open source, you could create your own skills as it's called so you can extend it. Further, at one point, I had it connected to my uh, Volumio so I could say, hey, name of assistant, play, you know, name of band or whatever. And it would actually do it. It was pretty cool. So um, the Mark 1 is the device that's been in the background of, I want to say the majority of my videos at this point are getting close. It's on the top of my desktop. If you're watching the video version, you could probably see it. When people ask me, what is that behind them? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Um, That's the Mark 1, the very first one. I think I bought that in 2019, 2018. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And then that was going well. Then they came out with, or they were coming out with the Mark 2, which is an upgraded device. Uh Would have, you know, faster processor and some other features added, different design. And uh, okay, that's cool. It's moving along. So um basically I was going to get a review unit but for the channel, but that never came. But I, but it's fine because I figured they were, you know, really busy. They have an open source project they're maintaining, no problem. I'll just buy the Mark II myself out of my own money. And then I'll review that because either way, I wanted to have a review of the Mark II. I mean, I bought it. I may as well uh, put out a video if I spend money on something. Um, but then I just randomly checked their blog and they're shutting down. And I'm thinking, well, I can't review it because why? You can't buy it. Well, you you might be able to buy one if they have one in stock, but I don't know why anyone would if it's shutting down. So that's sad. You know, I could figure out something else to use the Mark II for, but it's still developing because I feel like so far they're saying the right things. They're they're coming out with an alternative operating system that that should be supported. I don't really know the full story on that. It's Neon OS, which is weird because we have KDE Neon as a distribution. Oh, and distribution. I kind of thought that's what they were doing. Like KDE Neon for Mycroft, Why? <laughs> Um, no, it's name just collision. called, <laughs> yeah, it's like Name Collision, right? So Neon OS, and, the, and they're, um, they they sent a coupon code to anyone who bought one of these devices for a free flash drive with that preloaded on there. Um, it basically, you put in the coupon code, and it's a $0 order, which is really nice of them to do that. But at the same time, um, I really hope this gets forked, because I feel like there's so much promise here, and they've pushed this so far. That someone could conceivably take the software and continue it along. I don't know what's required to make that happen, but I don't want to see this go away. So one of the reasons why I wanted to mention this: one, because I'm not going to do a review. So anyone who's doing a uh, or who's been following my channel and is wondering where the Mark II review is, well, it's just not going to happen because of that reason. But also, I wanted to mention this just in case anyone listening is, uh, you know, an open source developer maybe wants to become one, has a team or some people that want to work on something that might like this kind of thing, just to throw this out there, see if anyone wants to, and I'm not saying this on behalf of Mycroft, right? I don't even know if they want me to say this. I don't care. I mean, this is just a project and a personal thing. If there's any way we could keep this idea going, I think that would be really amazing. And I think voice assistants that are open source could be a major boon to home assistant. I mean, just imagine being able to voice control everything without having to sell your soul to Amazon or Google.
0: Yeah. And I just, um, I realized I want to make sure I add this as show notes, specifically the link to that blog post that Jay's referring to yep. um, just so you guys can read it in its entirety. So you can understand what our thoughts are on it. And of course, read the, read it all for yourself as well. So.
1: Yep. And one of the things that's really cool about the voice engine that they released is you can, you can have it actually process everything offline I mean, sure, it's going to by default or maybe not by default, but depending on how you set it up, it can go out to the Internet and obviously get some things. But you could totally just cut that off and make it only answer on the land and not even go outside your Internet or your local area anyway. So there's a lot of promise here. I just really hope that happens. But as far as like why did this happen, you know, why are they going under? Um, there's nothing clear yet. There, there's no real answer. I mean, there's some things in the blog post, but nothing um, incredibly clear. It's really strange how this works out when you have a project that does everything right, but they, they still don't make it. Another one is the JingPad, the Linux tablet I reviewed, which was Apple quality. I couldn't believe it. This was an amazing tablet, super durable build quality. Did you see that while you were here, Tom? I yeah,
0: I did. The, I was actually impressed with the build
1: quality on that. Yeah, and they, the developers disappeared. Do this yeah. ghost everything just gone like what <laughs> they had like the this the best linux tablet ever made and then they just disappear and uh wow weird so there's just this weirdness about open source projects that develop a hardware product that generates profit that um it's really hard for these people to do it obviously because they're not the big box retailers but at the same time if people can't step up and challenge those companies then well we're always going to be at their mercy so i hope i hope something good comes out of this
0: yeah there's it's interesting but being an open source being a self-hosted project um there there's a good likelihood there'll be someone to pick it up and fork it now the the likelihood of being one of the big guys like google is pretty ze- pretty much zero because they're yeah. like hey welcome to our ecosystem i'm i'm also right. um for all the home assistant stuff we'll be talking about next, I've never been big on the voice integration for it because I just, I honestly, one of my favorites is the fact that I have it on my phone and I'm able to be able to just to switch things on and off of your phone via web interface. Phone is probably the most cause it's just conveniently in there. But of course, um, and something that's just out of view over at Jay's is a screen. And, um, this is becoming a popular option where you have a control panel, um, where you can set automations or build automations off other things. Matter of fact, the, the whole concept of automation, uh, I'll dive into where I've built things like how it watches my synology and my synology triggers on things that then tells home assistant to do a thing, uh, presence sensors and things like that so right. um yeah we'll talk a little bit more of that next
1: yep so yeah that's the story about uh mycroft and and i totally agree i mean the likelihood of uh you know countering one of the big companies like that is very much nothing but would it just be so cool if someone did you know i just yeah. we'll hope to see that like one one of the underdogs just rises up and just you know becomes a more popular option i guess we'll see how it goes
0: yeah. Now on to Home Assistant itself, because yep. Minecraft was just an extra integration for Home Assistant. You know, you don't need it. It well, right. it's a want, not a need, so it's not a requirement. Right. It's not a prerequisite. So this does not affect the Home Assistant project, which, by the way, is doing really well. I've actually been impressed. There updates come uh, rather frequently. Uh, the updates, with the exception of one in my few years of using it, I've had a single update that broke one minor integration, uh, which was my Synology integration, didn't work for. I think it was almost 16 hours before they fixed it. Like that's how fast wow. they fixed problems. That's better than most companies. They they knew it broke when it update. Options were rollback. Options were wait until the developers who were aware of it. And by the way, it broke on a Friday. Um, but they managed to get it fixed. I think it was Sunday. Um, by Sunday, like broke on Friday, updated on Saturday, and on Sunday there was a fix for it. It was still happened relatively quick, but the overall, um, I, I would really rate Home Assistant as a very high quality, well developed, very active community project. So uh, I wonder if right their
1: there. developers use it a lot, and when there's a bug, it affects them too. <laughs> <laughs> you know like, they have to get it going because their significant other is probably you know upset that the lights don't work fix the thing okay fine and then they fix it then send the pull request I obviously have no idea that that's even true but it would just be kind of yeah. funny because i'm <laughs> sure they use it because if, uh, unless they're like for the sake of developing probably not
0: yeah but um home assistant kind of in a nutshell is a self hosted, does not need the cloud by default. You can connect it to cloud apps. It does have lots of extensibility. But in a nutshell, you're talking about a system that you can host yourself. Now, you can host this on different things. Uh, That includes a Raspberry Pi, which before you throw a bunch of hate in the comments, it does not require Raspberry Pi. That's just what I'm hosting mine on. Are you hosting yours on a Raspberry Pi, Jay?
1: I have the Home Assistant Blue, which is the dedicated device that they put out that's based on Odroid. Got it. So, yes, you can use Odroid. You can use
0: other single board computers for it. Um, I don't have the entire list, but they do on their website. But you can also run this as a Docker container. You can run this. uh, I believe there's even – I haven't really done much testing with it, but I will soon. Uh, TrueNAS Scale even added this as part of their officially supported packages in – uh, as the app, so there's actually a lot of different places you can run Home Assistant. It's not limited to. We have chose to put it on a Raspberry Pi, but I know uh, we made those choices because I've been using it for a while when Raspberry Pis were plentiful, and now they're not. So right. we we yeah. will completely admit to it, being aware of that. One advantage of running on small single board computers, just in, as in general, is if you're doing things like, for example, um, the studio computer that is bringing you this podcast right now and doing the recording. Uh, that was woken up via my uh, Raspberry Pi sending a wake-on LAN over to it. This is actually a nice feature is um, you can take this low-powered device because this is a question that comes up and with power concerns being also greater here in 2023 Um, you can have a lot of things just turn off and then you can build the wake on land and once again i'm using my phone so i have my phone and i go i'd like to turn things on like computers and i have this you know low powered couple of watt device kicking out some uh, wake on land that's one of the first easy automations to build into it um, if you want to do that it will go further and i might do this i actually um, i'm not the biggest windows person anymore Uh, But my studio computer runs Windows to get it to shut them down again. uh, You have to load up RPC commands in there and set up users. So I haven't really experimented much with that. I've looked into it, but that actually is a further integration you can do where it it actually you can make any RPC commands from it. So Mm. you're looking at a nice self-contained update. It has a really nice update mechanism operating system wherever you decide to load it and uh, can give you a lot of control. And it's all self-hosted. It's all things are local on your network. It does not need Internet. Uh, In order to, well, it needs an internet to update, but it doesn't need the internet to uh, operate. But you could probably figure out a way to limit how it can reach out to the world if you wanted to, to say it can only reach its update servers. But it's it's just a really um, solid platform. And I got to give a warning here. It's a time suck man the more you learn how you can build automation the more you can't stop building automation and, and integration um it's like oh there went a saturday what'd you do i started reading home assistant i started wondering what everything in the world i could connect to it and then you find out how big the list is so then you start connecting it and even Jay didn't know until before this podcast that you can connect it to have it monitor uh, via api key your linode instances and i'm like really this is this is cool
1: <laughs> There's an integration for PF Sense and Unify and Unify Protect as well. Um, to go back on what you're saying about Windows, my um, recording PC is currently running Windows. I haven't had time to switch to Linux yet because it's one of those uh, weird things where I set up the PC in a build video. And then I was gonna go back and switch it to Linux, but I'm creating content with it and I can't just like shut down operations. So at one point I just need to go ahead and do it. But anyway, I found a a solution for managing Windows through Home Assistant. There's actually a package you install in Home Assistant and you also install this service on Windows and it'll just make the integration work with uh, wake on land shutdown, all that stuff. You don't even have to make your own RPC calls. You just install that on both sides make sure they can communicate you're done and I can wake on LAN, all of it works just fine. So that'll nice. probably cut that down, the workload on that down by like 75% if you use that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Send, uh, send
0: me the link. So I'll make sure i add it to the show notes and add it to my to-do list. <laughs> yep. yep. Absolutely. Now, some of the other integrations work. It's really cool. And this is, we're going to, talk about some of the things we and Jay are doing with it because sometimes you're like, okay, cool. I can turn the lights on and off. Now what? And me and Jay are going to dive deeper into it. But one of the things I want to mention right away I put a link to the list of things um, that me and Jay are using is in in the description as well. One of the values you'll find is there's plenty of YouTube channels going over how to do things in Home Assistant. You know, everyone has their own idea or own thing they want to integrate. One of the biggest and hardest and challenging things, though, right off the rip is what works with Home Assistant. And... That is not made clear by Home Assistant, and let me explain why. When Home Assistant says they work with something, that doesn't necessarily, until you dive into the details of that device, tell you how they work with it. For example, they will say like, hey, we can integrate with this particular thermostat, but the way they integrate with it is via API key. So now it's not locally controlled at that point. So you is saying and there's a few other like online devices that you have to register with some company's cloud to get it working, but then have an API key to the cloud. I don't really like things that loop out of my network, go to the internet, come back in and talk. Uh, so let's talk about a few things I have and Jay does too that don't need internet access in order to work. You can disconnect your internet and these devices will continue to function. I wish they had a button on their on their list of integrations that say integrations that do not require external API keys or internet access to work and we're going to start with um, the fact that I put in it's it's a link to this one specifically because weirdly um, it doesn't always show up in Amazon searches but I put a link to the Amazon uh, so you can find it directly this is the Nortec QuickStick Combo Z-Wave and Zigbee controller now the reason I went with Z-Wave and Zigbee Those are the two common protocols. And I know um, Matter is a new one coming out, but as cool as it is coming out and Home Assistant has support for it, the devices aren't out yet. So we'll stick with one that there's plenty of devices for, which is your Zigbee and Z-Wave. Zigbee and Z-Wave are wireless protocols that are their own thing. They are not normal wireless. They're not like your standard Wi-Fi, don't require any access points. And kind of interestingly, the way Zigbee and Z-Wave uh, both work a lot of devices can act as a relay so let's say i put a zigbee or z wave light switch in um, first we start with that little Nortech stick i have in my usb port of my raspberry pi it then links up with the light switch well the other switches that you add after or light bulbs or whatever they actually all act as relays so you kind of create their own mesh network and what they're doing is relaying commands uh to be simple about how it works i send it the command, and it can actually, if one of them is too far away, because it's several you know uh extensions removed so to speak it's a couple hops over um the way that works is it goes hey i can talk to this one and this will also relay the command so some of the devices don't just act as a receiver they'll actually just relay the commands to other joined devices this actually gives you a really solid network so you don't have to put a bunch of repeaters for Zigbee or z wave the devices themselves can act as repeaters uh this is really convenient i have really um thought this worked well um The next couple ones, and these are ones we're using for uh, higher wattage devices. They're called Zoos, Z-O-O-Z, Z-Wave. Like I said, all these are linked down below to make them easy to find. Uh, We even use these in my office. We make sure everyone's, uh, my office is a little bit drafty because it's an older building. And a couple employees want to be able to warm their offices. I also don't want to worry about them forgetting or leaving on like a small space heater. Uh, We actually have Home Assistant automated it warms up their office just before they get there. So it actually kicks on, uh, which turns your space heaters on automatically uh, prior to them coming in and then automatically turns them all off. So I never have to ask the question. Everyone turn their space heater off. It just automatically goes through and turns them all off. This is a really nice plug um, that'll do. That's all based on Z-Wave. The next one is the in switches. I've had good luck with those. And those are linked down below. Those are like regular replacement light switches. Um, They've worked great to build some of the next automations we'll talk about later, but I can turn lights on and off inside my house, Uh, but the regular light switches. So for some reason, if I am goofing with my Raspberry Pi, no one's left in the dark. (laughs) So that's, they they do work in normal switches as well. And and I'll mention too, that Zeus one, there's a button on it. So for some reason, the home assistant has been taken apart because Tom did a stupid thing. Um, You can press a button on it and override it. Uh, The next one is going to be the, Uh, Honeywell Ultra Pro. Honeywell makes some Z-Wave things, which is kind of cool. Honeywell, the the company, good brand name, they're a little bit more expensive, but nonetheless, they support Z-Wave. Now, one of the things you have to look and I specifically linked to the Z-Wave model, and I'll do the same thing for the Hughes lights that I use. I bought the Hughes lights, and before someone starts hammering that they're overpriced, I will 100% agree with you. I found them on clearance for one quarter of their retail price at Lowe's. So my hardware stores had them on clearance, so I bought some of them, but occasionally you can find deals on them. If you get things like the Hue or the Honeywell or some of these other brands, if you look in the corner of them, and this I can't say this for every one of them, but I can tell you for the ones I bought, I made sure when I was purchasing them. They say Z wave on the box. They'll say requires the Honeywell hub or requires the Hughes Light hub. They actually don't because they support Zigbee. Um, as long as they're supporting one of these open protocols or documented protocols, I'm not going to go as far as say open because um, Zigbee, one of them is open, one of them has a license, and I don't want to conflate which one. But either way, that's not something you have to deal with. But what this allows you to do is just attach them to your home assistant. So you're never reaching out to the Philips Hue network. If Philips Hue decided to, and this is the fear and uh, reality for a lot of people, I should say, where you buy a device that connects to the cloud, and then that cloud company goes, you know what we don't want to do? Support this device anymore. Good news yep. or bad news for you guys. It's all bricked. Uh, so that's been kind of, you know, a big annoyance on there. Um and what this allows you to do, though, is say, hey, I want to buy these devices. I want to time into my network. Now, one more device that I have on the list here, and it's the KAUF. I'm going to guess on pronunciation here. K-A-U-F, Power Monitoring Smart Plug with ESP Home. Now, there's a few other ones, and this is something else that's supported some of the uh, ESP Home stuff. They're, they connect to your Wi-Fi network, and it builds. Uh, you Go ahead and describe it. You're better at describing it because you, you're the one that has these ones.
1: Yeah. So these are the ones I have. So quick, quick background. I used to use a brand called Tekken. It sounds similar to the popular fighting game series, but it's not. It's T-E-C-K-I-N. And I'm not recommending uh, those ones. Don't buy those. Um, I, I was using a script to basically jailbreak those and install ESB Home, which is a um, alternate firmware that you can load that's open source. And that was going well, but then they changed the firmware that it comes with to lock out. Said script, which is an a whole move in my opinion. So I found the, uh, I don't know, cough, cow for, I'm so sorry, I can't pronounce this well. Yeah. But they're great. They actually come with ESP Home built in out of the box. So you plug them in and you check your list of Wi Fi networks, you join the one that it creates, and then give it the information for the Wi Fi network that you use for IoT. And then it'll reboot and then connect to that Wi Fi network. If you fat finger the password or something and it can't connect, it'll reset itself. And then create the uh, access point again and give you another chance to enter the password. So it's super easy to install. And once you, once you do add it to the network, Home Assistant sees it immediately. It says, hey, I found a new device in your network. Do you want to add it? And it? It's the smart plug. So what I do is add them one by one because you'll have like a bunch of the same name. It gets very confusing. So I add one, rename it, add one, rename it. And it's so easy that it, um, I can't imagine any way to make it easier than that. You just add it to your Wi-Fi network and they just show up in Home Assistant. It's like magic. Yep, and
0: like I said, that's another way to do it. You can certainly do those, and it just comes down to if, if you have Wi-Fi coverage, and then that may be something that's no problem for you. So you can put the plugs anywhere, provided they have Wi-Fi coverage. For me, I went with the Z-Wave and the Zigbee ones because the range is good, and because they relay. And someone, as they pointed out, has to be a uh, a device that continue. They can't. They actually specify whether or not the device can relay. It also has to have continuous power, obviously, um, to be able to do that. But Different approaches to it. It kind of depends on your use case and which way you want to go. But by the way, they can all live simultaneously. If I wanted to buy a few of these, you're not limited to one or the other. You can use all of them at the same yep. time, which is actually really kind of a neat feature as well um, to be able to use all of them. And a few people commented about the um, things like the TP links. Uh, yes. TP links. Um, there is a, uh, uh, a little bit of a, a fundamental problem with the TP link. And this is where I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Watch the age of the video that you're watching it on, because there were certain firmwares. There was some debate and I, this is one of the reasons I didn't order some of the TP link. Like there was some firmware changes you had to make, but you didn't have to make them unless they were a certain age. Like the yeah. older ones had an easy firmware that would support it. And then TP link, cause they want you to buy their stuff. Um, apparently had a firmware change that made it harder to make them integrate to Home Assistant. Uh, those are weird little details. That's why I mentioned stuff that works right off the rip versus companies that kind of want you to use their cloud. So they'll do firmware things like they they want to make it. In, maybe it's by accident, but I really don't feel this way. They may want to make it harder to do uh the integrations um because they want you to use their because a lot of these companies they they sell their own stuff they're not just selling the plug the plug is the cheapest part they usually want to sell you on their services their cloud and get you tied into an ecosystem and this is one thing home assistant really helps you defy is that ecosystem and lock-in those companies want to like burden you with going you have to use our stuff and yeah it's, I see someone yeah. said firmware update equals uh, the TASMOTA firmware. And this is where that challenge comes in of, yes, you can flash them, but somewhere easy to flash. And I watched someone in at least a couple of forum posts, like if you buy them and they're, li- they're after this firmware version, they made it harder to flash them to the other firmware. Also, how much time do you want to spend flashing firmware? That's a you question, not a me question. Because um, my answer was, I don't feel like flashing firmware. I want stuff to uh, work. Matter of fact, one more thing I'll mention. They're called GID. Gideolid, I don't know how you pronounce that, but well, there's a link in there, uh, four pin RGP uh, color changing stuff. So this is all my under desk lighting. As a matter of fact, my kitchen lighting's done and I did it all with Z-Wave. These little boxes worked fine and I bought them because I knew I didn't have to do firmware changing on it. Um, no surgery, just basically plug them in, press button, they get detected and joined. Um, now, I will admit this uh, in this Do take a look at the number of Zigbee or Z-Wave devices that you can have in a network. There are limitations. I forget what that number is. It's something like 64 devices. But if you do have more than 64 plugs, yeah, um, you may have to look at other solutions for for that. I I don't know exactly what that number is, but if you look it up, it's easy enough to find. Don't exceed the number of a lot of devices. So probably a little pre-planning is is a good Mm -hmm. idea. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and also know how many amps you are planning on running through that smart plug before you get it, because there's a limit. You have to look at that, because yeah. it'll actually be rated for a certain number of amps, and you will overload that if you uh, to go yep. above that. But it's it's actually a very um, you know it, it's it's a it's not an easy limit to hit most of the time. But uh, don't add your dryer to it or your vacuum or any of those weird things because you're going to have problems. Um, you, You know, just just take a look at that. But yeah, definitely. Those are good ways to go.
0: Yeah. And the zoos one I mentioned, and I said zoos and then space heater because it's actually a higher amperage one. Uh, the yeah. same with the in Brighton switch that's actually controlling the outside lights of my house. And there's a lot of those. So that switch also has a relay click type relay in there that was made to handle the higher amperage of running. I mean, my, my lights are LED, so they're actually not that many amps but you know they're the um what do they go to, i forgot how many lumens they are but there are a lot of lumens because they're outdoor lights mm-hmm. you there is a wattage um associated with that so you do have to uh can think about a lot of those things
1: yep yep
0: um quick side note i'll make in the hard to pronounce part of this um i learned and uh, I actually think Linus Tech Tips, they did a short video on this of why there's so many weird names for these companies on Amazon. Uh, this is how they avoid trademark. Uh, they they just put it, they're not names that have been lost in translation, like they mean something in the, and maybe because like a lot of these brands might be from China. Uh, it's not like they have some meaning um, in their native language. They just make up and mash words together. Um, that way there's never any copyright or trademark infringement. So they just invent a name that they you know uh auf power monitoring system. And there's probably not a company called this because it's not a real word. And now they don't have a name collision when they set up an Amazon store to sell these. So that's a little trivial. Yeah. I learned about why there's so many weird names on there. It's how they avoid it. Also, by the way, if you know how they spell this weird name, because you click on a link, you you implicitly find it because there's nothing else with those combinational letters. It's not a word.
1: <laughs> that's Literally why the band churches replaced the U in their name with a V because you otherwise wouldn't be able to Google their name. So they made that one change to make sure you could, you know, people do things like that all the time for SEO. It's actually kind of funny.
0: Yeah. So it's just kind of a kind of fun uh, little tidbits on there. You know, it's kind of weird I see someone asking, I don't know which companies have declared like singing the praises of home uh, assistant friendly, Um, There are companies that are more friendly than others. The nice thing is the companies that do things like Z-Wave don't care um, or Zigbee because they they know you got to connect to a Z-Wave or Zigbee and us technical people will build our own hub in supposed to using some cloud enabled one. So those companies to me are like the least likely to care, by the way. Z-Wave and Zigbee, you're not talking about a standard TCP IP style protocol. So these, there's never an opportunity for these little Z-Wave plugs to call home to some external thing. There's no internet access on your Z-Wave controller. That's not what Z-Wave does. It's not how it works. Right. So you kind of, I've seen someone say, well, isn't there some risk about the Wi-Fi ones eventually trying to be on a network and call home? I guess because technically you're giving them, that's up to you then. And it's relying on you to design your firewall rules um, properly right. for those that is on you. Um, cause yeah, they, you're giving them internet access or you're not based on your firewall rules, not based on device policy at that point. So just a few things to consider on there.
1: Yeah. Uh, firmware rules. So those are important. That's how I fixed my uh, smart TV that has built in ads. You cannot disable. There's no way to disable the ads at all and firmware updates constantly that probably just give you more ads. And it just keeps reaching out. And eventually, and you can't even turn that off either. It's ability to reach out to the internet unless you just disconnect it from the Wi-Fi. And I wanted it at home Assistant, So I literally just added a firewall rule. I think you were the one that, read that uh, gave me the idea to block all outbound traffic from that TV. Absolutely yep. works just fine. I get no more ads. I can't download anything. Every now and then, it might, give, it might complain about internet access. But yeah, that's tough. You don't get internet access. You're naughty. Yep. <laughs> all right. On to the automation side of it. Yep. and i'll I'll admit
0: i don't you're are you using node red at all right now Jay no all right i, I me and Jay have built our automations using the native built in home assistance automation tooling, and it's yeah. good. it's got a lot of features, but I will admit, and I do not have any documentation or videos on this, but I believe the hookup. Uh, does if you type in it's one of the great it's a it, it's one of the top videos what last i searched if you type in home assistant node red tutorial he's got a great tutorial that walks you through what node red is i found the home assistant automations adequate but if you do not find them adequate um, node red is an automation that you can integrate completely in there it's just a package plugin that you can go through the web interface and turn on but it offers extensive like chain of events type of things that can happen. Uh, Timing on those events, conditions, triggering multiple events. And it's all kind of visually drawn. Uh, It's really clever how it works. So if you have a more extensive need, it's um, beyond the scope of this particular podcast. But yes, I'll I'll admit it's a it's a new rabbit hole you can go down where, you know, Jay could build an automation where uh, we monitor his Linode instance and it comes down and blinks different lights based on presence detection of what room jay is in or maybe he mm-hmm. has to fire off a speaker jay the home lab show doc <laughs> the home lab dot show has gone down uh due to this error and reads the last error log and you could probably write that entire automation there which is awesome <laughs> but um yeah is it's, it's pretty neat it, but it comes down to what your use case is um i try to go for myself the minimum amount of complexity and when I get to where I need cool and as much as a rabbit hole as this was I feel happy with the automation I have but that doesn't mean there's not a future where I'm unhappy and going I would like more automation in my life and Node-RED could be the facilitator for that extended so uh, all depends on how deep you want to go with it
1: (laughs) and I think that's a perfect segue right into this because um, what I'm finding out more and more is that if there isn't a way to do something there actually is you just have to adjust your thinking a little bit because we were, we were talking about some things like you mentioned an IR blaster because I was talking about my monitor when I switch from one computer to the next. There's mm-hmm. a couple of things I have to switch. There is a remote to my monitor so I could integrate that. I didn't think about that until until that happened. So um, sometimes you just have to think about it in a, a different way and you might find a solution that'll help you um, You know, basically automate something that you didn't think would be able to be automated. And another example... Is the camera that everyone sees me on right now. Yep. It, um, and that's something that you and I discussed because there's no remote for this camera. There's, so an IR blaster will not work. And that's that's sad because what I want to do is be able to just hey say, hey, personal assistant, time to record and everything, come on. But the camera has always been the thing that doesn't. The TV will come on, recording PC comes on, lights come on, all of that works. But the camera has a physical on off switch you have to toggle there's just no way around it so and that's when you mentioned a fake battery, you know on a on a cable, yep, and I just leave the camera on all the time, and then plug it into a smart plug and I'll automate that and because it's a fake battery hooked up to a you know power cord essentially it's just feeding power off of AC. No problem. I just hit the button. It cuts the power to the camera. Um, I, I hope that's not a bad idea if the camera needs some kind of a shutdown thing. I'll have to look into that. so yeah, a little bit more research is needed. But at the same time, um, you know this is the the mindset. That you go through as you start to think about these things when something seems impossible you're like oh right like in your case you're thinking about rpc calls and i'm sure that'll absolutely work but there's a there's a plugin; just download the thing and it works and sometimes you just have to know what to search for because different search terms will um decide whether or not you actually find what you're looking for but there's so many different combinations of settings and i think that's where it starts to get really fun when you start to put things together and something cool happens
0: yeah, and this is where, like, especially me and Jay, because we we want to, and everything else is is the pain in between. Me and Jay really love technology. Me and Jay really love teaching about technology. The pain in between is anything we have to do from editing to right. the recording to how do we build an automation around that. So one of the things we did um, was we build automation, like Jay comes in and tells his system to record time and it goes through and sets the lights to a certain setting it sets the color range of the lights you can get that specific with it so instead of him making sure that's all in check the home system is now doing all that as an automation yep. uh, his studio what it looks like when you see it now versus when i come over and we're not recording is <laughs> a different look you have different sets of lights on and things like that we have these mm-hmm. studio lights around us and i've done the same thing you you build a scene and you say, this is the thing I want it to do. I'm lucky that this camera, um, all I had to do is take the battery out, the one I'm on now, I took the battery out and I leave the power button in the on position. And then I have a switch on the plug that uh, fires up the camera because it's got an external power source and it, remembers all the settings because as long as it powers on all the settings are always at last known setting. So I built automation into that. So it's kind of cool that when you know, these are one of those things, think about what your goal is, what's the outcome or what's the pain point you have uh, with these. And then that's how you start your automation journey is going, all right, I want, I've started with a goal. I know home assistant has a million ways to do it. And you keep adding into home assistant until you've reached the goal and Neither one, on me or Jay, needed Node-RED to reach that goal. But, hey, there may be a feature date where we do. Um, but I don't want to discourage you because if you want to build something complicated, hey, I like to mention that it's there for the extra things you may want to do.
1: <laughs> and Shadowy mentioned in the chat room about uh, the stream deck. And there is an integration for that. So that's how I have mine set up. So I have an OBS button when I press it. All the OBS controls come up, like which camera is on me, um, you know, which scene, if it's a screen capture, or the camera that's on me, I, I do all that from the stream deck, where I hit the Home Assistant button, and then I have my individual controls there. I can hit the main lights on and off or do whatever I want to do, uh, and, and that's just something you install, and it integrates it with Home Assistant, which is pretty cool. It just makes a call out to your Home Assistant box and that that's also really fun just to have a a little stream deck. so I have the a dashboard that Tom was referring to that's out of frame in the camera that's just dangling from the wall. I just go up there, it's a touch screen. I just do whatever I want but if i if I'm too lazy to get up, even though it's like three feet away, I just hit the stream deck and then it does the same thing so there's all kinds of cool stuff you could do.
0: Yeah. And one of the integrations where I went further is I love the fact that they have built in and this can be done completely locally is have webhooks and webhooks to describe them simply are a special token or key that you touch. So you make a command, you may use curl. If you're doing from the command line, you can just drop this webhook in a browser and doesn't really do anything. It just says, hey, make a request and touch this key now that key can be treated more or less like a password but then you say when this is touched this is the trigger event to do other things i mention it because i have a synology and then i have my synology i create the webhook on my home assistant on raspberry pi and my synology is running my camera system and synology can do um triggers based on the event that's going on. So if you detect a person or a vehicle in my driveway, but not the squirrels and raccoons that are wandering around, but if you detect a person specifically or a vehicle And then you kick off that webhook And that webhook then brings it to Home Assistant Which then asks a couple questions uh, Of itself, like some conditions Is it after dark? Because there's probably not a reason to turn on my lights After dark. The next question is Were the lights already on? We don't need to turn them on If they're already on, so that would be two conditions it meets And if neither one of those conditions are met It says turn on the lights around my house So if there's a person Detected, my lights all come on And it may surprise the person Or it may not, or it may be me pulling into my driveway uh, Because it's actually kind of a nice thing as soon as i start pulling my car i got a bigger driveway as soon as i pull my car in a driveway it goes i see a car and all my lights come on so i never come home to a dark house just kind of fun automations uh that you can oh. do
1: oh yeah it's just it's just so much fun i i just have i think actually when i do take a vacation it's actually going to be like a, oh my gosh i got time to work on home assistant vacation and i'm just going to probably automate everything that i haven't automated yet and uh it's just convenience, like like you were saying. Some people might think, "Why I could I can hit a light switch; it's no problem." Well, yeah. sure you can. It's but you're not thinking about it right. Like some of the things that I do, for example, is I have monitors on the sump, for you know, to make sure it's actually you know has power and it's on. I get alerts if that thing goes down. I know. Uh, you have to know about your sump. I mean, if you have one, yep. you, you know, you don't want a basement flood. So you need to know about that. And I have an Accio alert on my sump pump and I have home assistant watching it too. And um, home assistant also has a check that if the smart, if someone just you know accidentally bumps it and presses the button on the uh, smart plug, turns it off, then every five minutes, home assistant is checking. Are you on? Are you on? Are you on? And if it finds that it's not, it, it'll turn it on. Another trick that I like to do is, I don't know if everybody, how many people know this But you can set up a conditional in Home Assistant. So let's say you have a television. So you add the media player thing for it. So it shows you like what channel it's on and and what you're watching. You control the volume and everything. That's pretty cool. But when your TV is off, that's a waste of space on your Home Assistant. Why why do you have that there? um, But what you can do is add a conditional. If the TV is on, then show the media player um, widget for it. And then when the TV shuts off, it takes that off the dashboard. So your dashboard isn't wasting any space. You just have a button to turn the TV on. And then it changes to a media player applet when it is on. And then it just kind of changes state based on that, which is a lot of fun. So that way you can make clever use of conditionals to have different things showing on the dashboards whenever um, the status changes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really handy. And being able to create multiple dashboards and multiple users, by the way, this is something my wife's not a particularly, you know, she's not tech savvy, she's not into tech, but she as a general user, she has her own dashboard that's separate from mine. She doesn't need all the studio controls and it I might know. be annoying if she had them, she accidentally hit ones on recording, that could create really inconvenient. So I have a you know, all the different things that we've built for home automation and to top that off Synology's integration is really nice because it will pull the cameras and give you the last image that each camera recorded. So if they're, without having to go to the Synology dashboard at all, she just needs home assistant and she can see the temperature the house, furniture, uh, furnace temperature, what it's all set at for our HVAC. She can see the light settings. She can see the Synology who's if there's a package got left on a porch, it'll alert her for that. And it all does it right through Home Assistant. So she doesn't even have to go to any other service. So now instead of going to different apps to do different things, Home Assistant becomes an integrator for those things. This is a nice thing about where I do like the fact that it has the ability to reach out to other cloud services because maybe whatever that thing is you're doing just doesn't have a local integration option but you have it you want to be able to access it uh, and bring it all to one dashboard so
1: yep Yeah, yeah there's so many things i feel like i could just fill an hour with all the things that i've automated because um sometimes the challenge is what does the audience want to hear based on me rambling but if you think about it you can do it i mean i even have a speed test for the for the internet connection and home assistant that checks every now and then It tells me what my upload and download is. I mean, the, the list goes on. There's an infinite amount of things you can do.
0: Yep, for sure. Uh, what we don't have is an infinite amount of time to do this podcast, right. <laughs> but we love hearing from you. We're going to be doing a Q&A episode soon, so feedback at the thehomelab.show. Um, I will be doing some um, dedicated videos probably at Home Assistant soon so I can actually walk through what I did. Because I do a lot of Synology videos, so I'll walk through what I do with Synology integration. That'll be a dedicated tutorial. Also, check out all the new things me and Jay are doing. We're both uh, – uh, well, Jay's ahead of me on this. I'm going to catch up uh, revamping our YouTube channels to better bring tutorials to you so um keep an eye on that so coming up to the future you look for some announcements on there uh thanks you thank you all for joining and uh check out the home assistant and let us know what you're doing with it you know send us some feedback and we might get some ideas from it so hopefully we gave you some ideas we're willing to hear some ideas from you and thanks